Welcome to the Big Hairy Podcast by clean beauty brand The Beauty Works. The podcast that explores hair and the meaningful ways it's linked to identity, culture, ethnicity and gender. I'm Sarah Kaywood and today for the first half of this episode I'll be joined by Shanice, a makeup artist, black rights campaigner and a contestant on BBC's Glow Up. I relaxed my hair I bleached my hair to a point. I'll, anyone who watches this, if they know me personally and knew me in school, my damaged hair was so bad, my fringe sat outright like that. As well as Rachel Seeley, a positivity influencer who is passionate about hair, black rights, mental health and body positivity. They'll be sharing stories about the history of black hair and talking about their own hair journeys. I think people don't understand how unique Afro and kinky hair is. The fact that the textures come in so many different curl types. We'll discuss styling black hair. So it just depends on the curl texture, um, how you can maintain and look after the hair. And we'll also discuss the history of black hair. There's so many different stories behind what we do with our hair and why we do what we do with our hair. In the second half, I'll be talking to Edda Cura, writer and director of the documentary feature film Blacks Can't Swim. 95% of black adults and 80% of black children in England do not swim. We'll also be joined by Irene Shelley, editor-in-chief of Black Beauty and Hair magazine, to discuss how to take care of black hair, and she'll also share her own hair journey. All we really had to do was wet it, add some olive oil and comb it with an afro comb. We'll be talking about black hair care. You're buying lots of products from your shampoo to your oils. And experiences of swimming with afro hair. My daughter said to me, oh, does that mean that if you want to become an elite swimmer and you have afro hair, therefore you have to compromise? This is a really important episode that you won't want to miss. Now let's meet these brilliant people. Rachel and Shanice, welcome to the Big Hairy Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really well, really well. I'm loving doing this because... I'm getting to speak to such interesting men and women and it's just about stuff I genuinely want to know about. And I just said off camera to Shanice, I have I have so many questions about black and Afro hair because obviously I'm this little white pipsqueak over here with pink hair. You know, I live in Essex. Unfortunately, it's not particularly diverse out here, which is something that I, I, do, I worry about with my children. Um, So... Talk to me about Afro and black hair and the wonderful things about it, the things that drive you mad. Because actually, as a white woman, I only ever hear a lot of negativity about how difficult it is. And also hairstylists are very nervous around black hair as well, which must be a source of massive discontent for you guys. I think people don't understand how unique Afro and kinky hair is. The fact that the textures come in so many different curl types. So they range from really, really tight coils and kinks to very loose curls. So it just depends on the curl texture, um, how you can maintain and look after the hair. And it's also about skill set. So if you are around that type of hair a lot of times, you will understand how it works, how it doesn't work. If you're not, then it may be quite hard to understand. And I think if you look at the science of Afro and curly hair, because the hair is curled, the natural oils that come from your scalp take longer to go down to the hair at the ends and the ends are the oldest part of the mm -hmm. hair. So the hair tends to be drier and therefore it breaks easily. So that's why a lot of people find it hard to maintain it because the hair is quite dry. Um, but once you get the skill set and the understanding of how to maintain it, it's actually not that hard. I think it's just people don't have the understanding and education behind it. I don't think it's a difficult hair type. I just think it just needs more care than other hair types do. Mm -hmm. I agree. There's a lot of history behind black hair, our culture mm. and the way that we used to style our hair throughout decades. Our ancestors who were slaves would braid their hair in certain ways so that they could understand their directions of the plantations they were on. There's so many different stories behind what we do with our hair and why we do what we do with our hair. Like Rachel said, mm -hmm. it's not as easy to care for as European hair. So that is why a lot of people have shied away from it because it takes a little bit more love and attention and it mm -hmm. needs a little bit more product and time spent on it. Mm -hmm. 
it's only recently, I would say, in the last couple of years that black hair is becoming popular and a lot more people are gaining an understanding of it and an appreciation of it, not only just mm-hmm. within like oh, the wider community, but in the black community as well. There are a lot of black girls that... I mean, we're not coming out of the womb with all of the knowledge on how to care for our hair. These are things that we learn. And for me in particular, I'm mixed race. My mum's white. My mum had to learn how to care for my hair when I was Mm -hmm. younger. And that meant that I still, to this day, like, I don't know how to lay a wig as well (laughs) as other people do. You know, I'm only just Mm -hmm. learning how to braid my own hair. Mm -hmm. So it's just like... We all need to take time and understand that we're not always going to know everything about our own hair and not look down on each other. We must help each other to understand because, you know, Rachel might know a lot more about black hair than I do and vice or, you know, vice versa in some respects. But yeah, there's a very deep meaning towards our love and acceptance for our Mm -hmm. hair as black people. You mentioned your mum, who's white, doing your hair. Did she learn how to look after black hair? Did she learn um, how to style it or braid it or look after it, make sure it didn't break off? Did she learn those things or did she just do the minimum? When I was younger, my hair was long, curly, like down my back. And if it wasn't my mum looking after my hair, then it was my sisters or my auntie on my dad's side, who is black Jamaican. So she always Mm -hmm. looked after my hair. But and she would always teach my mum how to look after my hair. But when you've got four kids, it's kind of hard. And I'm the only black kid as well. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of hard to like give my hair enough attention as it needed. So I kind of had to learn how I went. But even then, I was still the whole way through my like childhood. It was kind of leaving conditioner and just go about your business. (laughs) There was no like technicality behind what I did to my hair as a child. That's actually probably, if somebody said, um, how would a woman of colour look after their hair? That would probably be my guess. I have uh, friends of colour who've said that there's an awful lot of leaving in of conditioner. Yeah, conditioner's your best friend. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. Like there's a lot of memes that go around that say like the conditioner bottle will be about this much left. The shampoo you have at this much left. Oh, yeah. yeah. And isn't coconut oil meant to be? I mean, it's really good for all. Is it good for black hair? I certainly like it on my over bleached, over conditioned hair. It's really good because it's one of the oils that actually penetrates the hair shaft. So coconut oil has been used in a lot of different cultures, not just like African or Caribbean cultures. A lot of Asian cultures use it as well in their hair. And it's a good way to just like deep condition, get all of the nutrients into your hair but all that a lot of people don't use which they should try is jojoba oil because jojoba oil actually is the only oil that is closest to your natural sebum so it it gives you all the nutrients that you need and it's very lightweight some of the oils out there are quite heavy and if you use too many oils in your hair it actually attracts bacteria to the scalp so that's not a good thing but um coconut oil is amazing especially if you've got like braids in or you've got like a dry scalp So, Rachel, where does your knowledge of black and Afro hair come from? Is it because you are a woman of colour yourself, you've grown up with it, or have you studied it? So I've never relaxed my hair. I've never chemically straightened my hair. So my hair's always been naturally curly. Um, So for years, my mum would do my hair till about the age of 15. And from then it was like, okay, you're on your own to do it yourself. And I had to learn and explore and see what my hair could and couldn't do. And then from being in the natural hair industry for the past 10 years, I've just learned a lot of information from a lot of professionals, a lot of hairstylists. I've had opportunities to work with some of the biggest hair brands in the world that have had a lot of information behind their products. So it's given me a wide variety of knowledge and understanding of how the hair works. But also the fact that in my family, I'm one of three girls and the eldest. We all have different hair types. So I'm like the house hairdresser. So I have to do everybody's hair. And it, it gives me a chance to understand how different hair types take different products, different things that you can and cannot do. But a lot of times when you're in like a black household or family household, you come across so many different hair types and variations. I'm interested to know which ones, like, can you tell me? So there's a, there's a hair chart called the um, curl chart system and it goes from 1A to 4C. And it was invented by Andre um, Walker, who used to be Oprah's hairstylist. And he invented it because he wanted it to be a way when women came into the salon, he could define exactly what their hair type needed and how to style it. So 1A is from the straightest of straightest hair and 4C is the kinkiest, coily texture. So my natural curl pattern is a 4A, 3C. I don't really go according to the chart as often just because a lot of times it doesn't really matter. It's more of an industry marketing thing. But a lot of people have used it as an identity 
for their hair type. So you'll hear a lot of black girls with a kinkier hair texture will say, oh, I've got a 4C texture. And that a lot of times means that they've got a drier, tighter coil. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody with that curl texture has the same type of issues with their hair or even has the same type of hair. You could have that hair in so many different definitions. It's really, really um, sparse. And it depends on the person because it's also down to your DNA. So your genetics play a big, big, huge part in your hair type as well. And that's why you have so many variations within like one family because it could be genetics from so many generations back that yeah. can affect your hair type. And yeah. I, I mean, your hair is really, I mean, is that all yours? I've got a lot of hair. So I've got a thick head of hair. I think one of the beautiful things about Afro and black hair is that you can do so many things with it. It's so versatile from braids to bantu knots to straightening to just wash and goes. Mm. It can do anything and everything. And I think that's a, a huge misconception of black and Afro hair that it's just Afro hair. Like it can do so many different things. And we have so much culture behind our hair as well and our hairstyles. It's yeah. not just a fashion statement. I, I need people to understand that as well. Like box braids cornrows cane rows however you want to term it it's actually a protective style so it helps to protect natural afro hair or kinky curly hair from the elements so in the winter our hair gets drier so we need to have styles that help the moisture and help the hydration in the hair so that's a, t a lot of times around this time of the year you'll see a lot of afro black hair in braids in yeah, cornrow styles this is fascinating Absolutely fascinating. I think it's wonderful. Um, can you talk to me both about is black and Afro hair, is it evolving in that or the care of it evolving? Because I've got lots of friends of colour and a lot of them used to have weaves a lot. And do you see less of that now? Um, I think if anything, I've seen more of it. Really? Yeah. Rachel, can you tell us exactly what a weave is? Okay, let's break down the categorization yeah, of wigs. Weaves. Educate me, girls. So a wig, I think we all know what a wig is, but there are different types yeah. of wigs. So you can have a wig that is called a lace frontal, which literally is the lace of the hair, which you can create a fake illusion that you have a hairline. And the way that it's applied, there's just all these different techniques on YouTube of how to do it. And it's more so to give the illusion that the hair is growing from the scalp, basically. So the lace is quite thin. It's quite delicate. You can get them from the cheapest of the cheapest to the high luxury end, like the Beyonce's and the of that kind of realm. Then you have weaves, which are tracks of hair. So all the hair comes on a weft, which is like a sewn track. And what will tend to happen is the person would either braid their hair, like cornrow their hair up, and the hair is stitched onto the braids. Now, different people do it different ways. So you can have a full weave where you've got your whole hair that is braided away. You can do tracks, like I've got a couple of tracks in, mm -hmm. which I have a different method called the invisible flat weft, which means that I've got micro links that are then sewn into the weft of the hair. So it's a different technique. There's so many different techniques you can do with it. Um, and then you've got micro links, which are over different cultures, Asian women, white women get micro links done. But it's all different forms of doing hair extensions um, that will, of course, give you length or mm -hmm. kind of give you color or give you a different type of curl pattern, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. But a lot of people use it for fun. Like a lot of black girls tend to wear wigs for one protection, but also it's just to switch up your style. And it's also like if you want to try a different color, because I don't want to bleach my hair blonde and then dye it grey and then have red tracks next week. It's just it's too much damage. So a lot of times we'll yeah. get wigs because mm. we want to switch it up. Like we want to have fun with it. And that's a bit of it that's missed as well. A lot of people just having fun. It's also another fashion accessory. It's another expression mm. of yeah. style. So you can get one girl that this week should be red, next mm. week should be grey, the week after should be blue, green and purple all in one wig. It just depends on the person. It's not mm. necessarily because that woman hates her hair or she doesn't like her hair. It could just be a star choice. Far from it. I'd say the opposite, yeah? She loves her hair. No, do you know what? <laughs> I am always in, I've always been in a constant battle with my hair. Like, uh, my hair has been through so much trauma, it's a joke. And now, it's only over the last couple of years. I'd say when I was pregnant with my daughter, I chopped all my hair off. I had a Britney Spears moment and I was like, get it off me! I was taking my weave out <laughs> and my hair was so damaged that I just literally hacked at it. And it was so short, oh, it's like here. Geez, but then I was like, yeah. pregnancy hormones is going to grow back. And now it's like, when it's not shrunk, it's down past my boobs. But it obviously mm. springs up because it's curly. Yeah. The, the like backstory of my hair 
obviously I'm mixed race. When I went to school, I started school, secondary school in London. I'm born and bred in London. But then the later mm-hmm. half of mm-hmm. my secondary school life, which is like your pivotal years when you're like 15, 16. Yeah. That's when I moved to Essex. And everyone was white, mm-hmm. apart from a few. And everyone had straight hair. And my thing was being accepted and being liked you know like everyone in school you go through this phase where you don't want to be an outcast Mm -hmm. so you're changing your hair like how your friends are wearing their hair you're all wearing the same thing you're all so did you try and conform i relaxed my hair i bleached my hair to a point anyone who watches this if they know me personally and knew me in school my damaged hair was so bad my fringe sat outright like that I just didn't accept my natural hair. I didn't want to because I didn't feel pretty in my natural hair because all of the girls who were like beautiful in school had straight hair. So that was me. I kind of told myself that straight hair was beautiful. That was all that was the beauty standard when I was at school. And I mean, it doesn't make anyone who who feels like they need to be accepted and changes themselves to do so it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just, I was doing the best with what I knew when I was that age, you know? And then I got older and I think it was a pivotal moment was when I cut my hair off when I was pregnant. And I was like, if my daughter is born with a head of hair like mine, how on earth am I going to teach her to love and accept herself for who she is if I'm not doing it myself? You know, if I'm Uh constantly burning and straightening my hair, she's going to be like, what are you doing? Fast forward three years, my daughter's born with a long hair of like European hair. She's got a little wave. There's absolutely no curl to it whatsoever. But I love and accept my curly hair and the history behind my hair and the fact that it grows out of my head and girls pay for this shit. Excuse my language. Actually, I wanted to ask you both about the relaxing culture around black hair. Is that on its way out? Because there was the market yeah. for relax and it's and they burn your hair. If relax all got into your eye, you could go blind. No way. Yeah. If people look at the historical context of relaxers, it actually came from slavery. It came from a time where people were trying to conform. Mm. They're trying to look like um, their slave masters white or party. white, trying mm. to pass. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the biggest, or should I say the first black, millionaire entrepreneur in America was Madam C.J. Walker. She invented the relaxer and she actually made it herself, mm-hmm. tried it out mm-hmm. and then it, it boomed. Like she was one of the first female millionaires in, in America and everybody wanted to look like the European people that they were seeing mm-hmm. around day to day. They thought it would be easier to assimilate. They thought it would be easier to get along. I think the reason it's kind of decline now is from the birth of everybody empowering themselves in their natural hair and the beauty of afro hair there's been a big resurgence of black beauty black hair um it started off in america it's trickled around the world now where you see a lot of people of afro hair embracing their curls more so even down to like my mom she used to relax her hair when i was younger and i also used to look at her and think why can't i have my hair like that and she would always say to me, it's for, it's for adults, kids don't do that. But in some cultures, they do relax their children's hair from the age of five, even some people of three. And that in itself is traumatising because you have stories of women who can remember getting burnt. I would imagine it burns your scalp. There's a lot of people who they expect it to happen. So they'll say, oh, it's not done until it starts burning. Like they'll keep it on until it's not burning. <laughs> and that in itself is a psychological thing of, I need my hair to be straight the straightest of straights, I'm gonna leave it on as long as I can to get that type of style. Mm. Now what's happened is people are being re-educated and they're saying to themselves, wait a minute, I don't need to do all of this for what? Because you've got people who are traumatized from their hair falling out, from having the scabs. Some people, their hair's never even grown back because of how lethal the scabs and the burns are. Mm. So now you've got a lot, I think it's it's got to the point now where I don't even know a lot of salons or services that are actually giving like relaxers. I don't see a lot of people promoting it how they used to do it. And there used to be services where you get your hair relaxed, you get a a cut, a trim or whatever in a package. So I think a lot more women are trying to understand their natural hair. They're trying to understand how to to style it. Yeah. Um, Now tell me if this isn't true. I have a horrifying feeling that it very much is. But a stylist friend of mine put on Instagram last week that when people study hairdressing, they spend something like an afternoon studying black hair. Only recently, I think it's this year, that it's now being introduced into the curriculum 
for hairdressing. But before that, there was like a 15 minute. 15 I think it's minutes. not even 15 minutes, probably like one day. And it's not even the most intense course. It's just like a little thing of this is what it does. This is what it doesn't do. And that's it. And to be quite honest, I'm not surprised because when I've been to like event launches for brands, the information that's given on Afro hair, like on the press talks or whatever, it's very minimal. And it shows that a lot of people don't understand mm. the hair itself, but they want to sell you a product for it. So it's interesting how that works. But recently, I think it's this year or last year, they're now introducing it into the syllabus of teaching stylists how to do Afro hair. So now I think there's a certain amount of hours that have been added to it. Um, I remember Shanice mentioned earlier about when her hair is all straightened out, like presumably when you comb the conditioner through and, and it's all like literally the curl drops out in the shower or whatever. And I did, I don't know if you remember, you're probably too young. I was a contestant on Celebrity Scissorhands donkeys years ago. Um, it was in aid of children in need. And uh, and somebody came in and they had beautiful Afro hair, like the gorgeous, a bit like yours, Shanice. And of course, I, I, I wasn't cutting it, but one, I think um, Lee Stafford was in charge and somebody was going to cut it. And he was like, whoa, 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 hang on. Just, you don't just cut black hair because obviously it bounces up. So you can, I mean, presumably if you go to the wrong hairdresser and I'm sure you, you girls either have experience of this or know people who have, that have just been almost scalped because they've cut the hair without making sure, like, because it bounces back, like, it springs so short, doesn't it? I was young. I must have been, like, six or seven years old. And at that time, my mum lived near South End. I don't know where in Essex you are, Sarah, but... I'm in Leon C. I'm right next door. <laughs> I'm in Leon C too. Oh, really? Yeah. No way. Right, we'll discuss this afterwards. That's bonkers. Hi, neighbour. <laughs> So my sister took me to get my hair trimmed when I was oh, a child. And I remember, yeah. this is a white hair salon, and I don't think anyone was mm -hmm. trained in curly hair, let alone black hair. Oh. I got my hair cut. My hair was like down here, curly. So it was thick and long. And when I finished, it was up here. And I was traumatised. <sighs> and I've never been back to a hairdresser. That's hair PTSD. I'm genuinely saying that that sort of experience in a hairdresser can be properly triggering like that you, do you know what i mean so you've got essentially got a phobia of of, of a normal hairdresser now somebody who doesn't specialize in black hair there's a lot of black women that feel that way because when you go to a non-black salon in a way you're playing lucky dip you don't know what you're gonna get so you're just kind of like do they know what they're doing do they not know what they're doing and i've had the same experience that shanice has had i've had experiences where you want arts for one service you've got a completely different service so there's two different ways you can actually cut natural afro hair. You can straighten it and trim it, or you can cut it curly, but it has to be a specific specialised person that can do that because someone that can actually cut your hair curly, there's a certain technique that goes behind it. But even then, I'm still scared to get my hair cut to this day. I've never cut my hair. Apart from when I cut it off, I've not yeah. touched it since then. I'm interested to know from you both, is there more that we can be doing to bring... Um, black beauty, black hair into the mainstream? Because obviously, I mean, do you have any children, Rachel? Shanice has got a little girl. I've got a four-year-old niece. Oh, there you go. So similar thing. And we want to bring these particularly women into, you know, we, I, we want to keep evolving. Is there more that can be done? And if so, what can be done? For me, it's always been about just normalising Afro hair. It doesn't need to be isolated. It doesn't need to be made unique or others just put it amongst everybody else because once you start normalizing it people will stop looking at it and thinking oh what's that it will just be that's what that culture's hair looks like and that's what that culture's hair looks like and that's it and with my niece she's very at four she's very aware of hair and it kind of surprised me because I never knew at that age you'd be so aware of what hair is. She's very aware of like Cinderella hair and Tiana. Like she knows the different types of hair based on like princesses. Does that frustrate you? Um, We had a conversation one time that I nearly put me in tears where she was like, Auntie mm. R, I hate my hair. And I was like, what does she know about hating hair? Like, it, it, I don't know where it came from. It, it really caught me off guard. Oh, that makes and sense. And she has beautiful curly, her hair's long. It's just gorgeous. She's a beautiful dark skin, beautiful girl. Mm. And it's like, I don't want her to think that at the age of four, because then now when she's 14, 24, 34, whatever, it's going to live with her. And I've met women in their 60s mm. who are traumatised mm. from being four. So I don't want her to feel that way. So I always try and reaffirm her whenever she gets her hair done, because she gets her hair done by my mum every Sunday. 
And when I see it, I'm like, oh, show me your hair. Like, we make it into a thing. So she can be like, oh, look. And she gets it. She stands in the mirror. And she's like, it's so pretty. So I kind of reaffirm her and make her feel more beautiful. But it's sad that I have to even do that. Mm. Because when she watches TV, she doesn't see a lot of girls that look like her. She doesn't see a lot of characters that look like her. So it's not normalised. She feels other. She feels different. And if it was a thing where if we're going to have, like, a cartoon and there's a bunch of girls, we just have one of each. We just have everybody, you know, shown up in that cartoon or whatever it is. So whatever girl's watching it, she can see herself Mm. in those characters because those who don't look like that will think, well... I'm only seeing that image. I have to look like that. And that's where a lot of, you're getting a lot of young girls. This is what I said earlier about the wigs and weaves. I'm seeing school girls with wigs and weaves. When I was in school, there weren't any girls with wigs and weaves. Like it wasn't a thing. And they're now doing it because they're looking at their celebrities. They're looking at people on Instagram and thinking she's getting all the likes. She's getting all the attention. I've got to look like her. And they're not really thinking about their own hair and how it, it shows up for them and how beautiful it is because they don't, they don't see that in the media. They don't see it around them. So if it was normalised, mm. they can say, you know what? Oh, I can be like her. She's pretty like me. She's got a hair texture like me. There's nothing wrong with my hair. And that's where it needs to change. Mm. It doesn't have to be a thing of black hair highlighted. Just normalise it. Yeah. But you two particularly are doing that on social media. My friend Charlie, who has helped organise this wonderful podcast, told me the other day that the first advert for products for black hair only aired like a couple of months ago or this month or something. It's ridiculous. Afrocentric. They've been around for a while as well. And that's funny. They've one of the first indie Afro hair brands in the UK. But that's what I'm talking Mm. about normalising it. There have been so many household brands that have released Afro hair products, but don't have the Afro hair girl in the ad. They're coming out with these ranges for like Afro hair and they're saying, we've got something for you. That's completely fine. Like diversify your portfolio and your product line. But I want to see me in the ad as well. I want to see me on the billboard. So who are they using then? They're not using anybody, just product. They're now saying we've got a product for you so we can get your coins, but we're not putting you in the ad. But Shanice, why are they, you can't sell a product without having somebody to model it. I'm at, completely confounded. There are people who do buy these yep. products, but black women are not not being rep- represented, but we are just not on a level playing field. Mm. We're still fascinating to people who aren't black, which is sometimes I don't really... I'm going to open a can of worms here. When someone says, I find you fascinating, it's like... Am I an object in a museum? It sounds a bit patronising. I'm a human being. I'm not. There's yeah. nothing yeah. different to me than there is to you, apart no. from my skin colour and the fact that my hair is curly. There's nothing different. I can understand, yeah. you know, there is a massive, massive power that black women hold and our beauty and the way that we carry ourselves is just like, mm-hmm. oh. So I can understand the attraction. I do. But yeah. when a stranger has come up to me and wanted to touch my hair... That needs to stop. So I think black women not need to be given like a bigger platform because we're not better than anyone or worse than anyone, but we need to be represented and used as a standard the same way that white people are and every every other ethnicity are. Because there are certain areas of my industry in particular, brands being called out left, right and centre for still to this day not being inclusive to black and brown creators and people of colour events are happening pr events are happening and everyone is white but you want to set you want Mm. us to create stuff with your products and push your products within our communities but our community is not being represented when you're sitting in the boardroom Mm. and coming up with plans on how to sell and how to market it's almost like a tick box exercise isn't it but you know what's crazy about it black women actually spend five times more on beauty and hair products than any other demographic so you would think because they are spending more, you would cater more to them because there's more money available, but they don't because what tends to happen is, and this is where the psychology comes into it, a lot of times black women are buying products to look like those who are in the ads, to feel like they are part of the media or the kind of beauty standard. So they're willing to spend more money to attain that look. And it's all kind of twisted because it's like, when you go into a hair store, you'll hear people say, what products gonna make my hair grow? What products gonna make my hair get long? What products gonna make me... And they're always trying to attain something that they don't naturally have. And this is why before I said it's about genetics. 
Some people will have naturally long hair, some people won't. It's just the way that genetics work. But when you're constantly being fed this image of long straight hair is beautiful, long straight hair is, is acceptable, long straight hair is what is desired, a lot of black women look at that and think, right, I will spend all it takes to get that because I want to be accepted. And this is what I'm saying about normalizing. When you normalize it and you say, you are as good as this person, you are as equal as this person, that desire gets cut off. Credit where credit is due to our society nowadays, in the past couple of years, a lot of women are being encouraged to empower themselves and accept themselves for who they are. Did the whole Black Lives Matter thing, was that positive in the beauty and hair industry for women of colour? I thought it didn't do absolutely anything. Really? The Black Squares has been one of the funniest things I think that happened last year for me. Um, and the reason mm. I say that is because it made me question, what were brands doing before this? Like, when they saw somebody like me on their feed, did they care? Did they think, oh, let's work mm. with her, let's collaborate with her? The fact that it had to be highlighted and put in your face like that, off of the back that somebody got mm-hmm. killed by a police mm-hmm. officer, for you to actually realise what's going on, to me, shows how deep this runs and how ignorant some of the beauty brands are. Because mm. when I open my door, and that's me living in London, I see so many different ethnicities, so many different social groups, so many different people. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think, the people that are behind these brands, what are you seeing day to day? Like, what are you seeing as difference or... The norm. And this is why I don't really believe in the whole diversity thing that's happening right now. Because I literally feel like it's a tick box Mm -hmm. thing that's happening. Everyone's just going, we've got an Asian, we've got a white, we've got a black. And that's it. And they're not really looking at, well, why do we need that person? What will that actually do for our brand? How are we catering towards that, that customer? Because we feel like they're important to us. We have got a long way to go, haven't we? Um, Listen, ladies, I'm going to have to let you go shortly. I could talk to you both all day long. And thank you so much for giving me an education and helping me to understand the the challenges that women of colour do have, especially when it comes to the bloody beauty industry, which, like we said, a lot more work to do. But um, chuck us all your promos so that everybody knows where to find you. I have already stalked. Happy about that. Okay, so I am on all of the media, social media platforms and the name of UK Afrolista. I've got a lot of my content also on Pinterest. That's the newest platform that I'm on and I've got a great, amazing audience over there. So definitely give me a follow on Pinterest. Um, I've spoken on platforms like this, on radio and different spaces. And I also speak on Clubhouse a lot about these topics. If people don't know about Clubhouse, it's a great platform for audio conversations and debates. Um, So you can check me out there. And yeah, that's pretty much me. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok. I am starting YouTube soon, but Instagram and TikTok is where I'm at and it's at Shanice, M-U-A underscore. Thank you so much, Rachel and Shanice, for joining us on the Big Hairy Podcast. The Beauty Works is a UK brand which is proud of its South African roots. Their hair care is all manufactured in Cape Town and they are passionate about challenging the overpriced, poor quality and limited products for people with textured, curly and coily hair by launching the Africa range of affordable, high-performing, clean, cruelty-free and vegan-friendly hair care products to give this glorious hair the products it deserves. The Africa range includes the Braid Care Moisturising Spray, a natural daily refresh for hair and scalp, which moisturises, soothes and enhances shine. The non-greasy hair and scalp oil hydrates, softens and soothes, while the 2-in-1 Curl Activator and Detangling Spray creates defined, hydrated and glossy curls. The Hair Treat Overnight Mask nourishes and moisturises the scalp and hair. And the Hydrating Shampoo is a 3-in-1 that cleanses, hydrates and detangles hair. The Leave-In Conditioner provides intense frizz control and is infused with African castor oil and vegetable-based keratin and contains amino acids to protect hair, improve comb-ability and reduce styling damage. Join the Beautyworks revolution by visiting thebeautyworks.co.uk or follow them on Instagram at thebeautyworks. That's the Beautyworks with an X. Irene and Ed, welcome to the Big Hairy Podcast. 
Thank you so much for joining us, guys, to talk about black hair stories. Firstly, Ed, obviously you are a documentary filmmaker and you may, you've made two very successful films, Blacks Can't Swim and Blacks Can't Swim, the sequel. So is there a part to play with men and women of colour and getting their hair wet? Because I'd never thought of it before. But apparently, is that a thing? Is it not a thing? Is that part of the reason that Blacks Can't Swim? There's a number of reasons why we're having this issue with a disproportionate amount of black people that do not swim. The mm -hmm. figures at the moment um, by Sports England is that 95% of black adults and 80% of black children in England do not swim. I think, was it 88 million pounds we globally spend on hair products? Black women spend six times more time and money on their hair than Caucasian women. So the hair is a big thing. And if you spend so much money on your hair and you go to the pool and it damages, that's going to be a reason why you stay away from swimming. So yeah, it's a big issue. It's a very, very, very big issue. My daughter didn't take anything for my wife when it comes to hair. She's got a big afro. And mm -hmm. I can remember when we had that issue with just before the Olympics, when FINA did not approve Soul Cap having their product in the Olympics. My daughter said to me, oh, does that mean that if you want to become an elite swimmer and you have Afro hair, therefore you have to compromise, you have to, and my daughter's 11 years old. And that's what hit me, you know, like, wow, it's, this is, you know, this is the hair thing is such a big thing. Yeah, Ed, I think I must have missed that. What exactly happened with sponsorship at the Olympics? Um, so uh, the Soul Cup, you know, they are a manufacturer of um, swim caps for, right. for Black Year. And they did not have their swim cap approved to be used in the Olympics. Wow, that's massive. Right now they are, they are working together, they are having conversations. And the hair in general, I did a song and there's a video out there called Think About It. You know, it's about a young lady being asked, will she sacrifice her hair, you know, to get in the pool? And she says, no, no, I definitely won't. You know, I've spent so much money on my hair and it's my heritage. It's my, it's my, it's part of me. Yeah. Irie, where do you stand on this? Can I ask, do you swim? I do swim. I was taught to swim when I was young and I still swim when I go on holiday. I buy those sort of lock caps, swim caps. What are they? It's a swimming cap, but for high volume hair. It's, it's basically a large swimming cap. You know, if I want to do proper swimming rather than sort of splashing around with my sunglasses on, I'll wear one of those caps. And they make me look a bit like Ant Girl because it's quite a domey shape. It's not pretty. Well, swimming hats aren't, are they? Let's be honest. They're not, they're not. But they keep my hair relatively dry. And what was interesting, what Ed was saying about women saying, oh, I've spent too much money on their hair. I don't think it's just that. I think it's because a lot of black hair, when you wet it, reverts. So it reverts back to curls. So if you've straightened it it will revert back to its curly texture. Yeah. And you'll have to start that hairdressing process all over again. So it's like resetting each time you go swimming, which, yes, is expensive for most people. We don't have hairdressers on tap, but it's also you're resetting your hair each time. So when you go to the pool, you have to shampoo all that chlorine out and then you're left with your curls. What do you do with them? Do you straighten them? Mm -hmm. Do you leave them to air dry? What style do you do it in? And if you look at hair influencers, their wash day routines can take hours. So, you know, think of doing all that each time you swim. It would put people off. It's completely understandable. I would love to see, and I'm sure that Irene would be with me on this, I would love to see a return to those 1950s caps <laughs> with the massive flowers on. Yes. Let's just own this. If we're going to have to wear the Absolutely. damn things, let's just own Mine it. Mine would be like three times the size of everyone else's. But no, they're pretty cool, aren't they? You'd look absolutely fabulous. Irene, obviously you are the editor-in-chief of Black Beauty and Hair. Yeah. Talk to us about this culture and, and the spend and what goes into looking after black hair. Yes, I don't think the spend is by choice. The methods we use to look after their hair often necessitate 
that you're buying lots of products from your shampoo to your oils to your curl activators to your moisturizing sprays so you know there is a lot of aftercare for black hair so black women do find themselves spending a lot of money but also they're trying to choose which products work best on their hair types because we watch a lot of influencers on YouTube who have a particular hair type they've got their hair routine down pat Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're going to be using the same products as they are so people are always looking for people that look like them or have hair like them how they sort of look after their hair as well because it gives them a steer on what products they should be using yeah so yes the spend is vast um, because there are so many different ways of wearing afro hair mm-hmm. because the texture makes it versatile yeah so even a woman that goes natural may not wear her natural hair out and about she might put a, a wig on top yeah so you've not only got all the stuff for your real hair then you've got a load of stuff to look after essentially another head of hair Exactly. And you often hear when women go for maybe a number one, very low, low fade, often you hear them saying, so liberating. Really? I really don't have to do that much to it. You get that. You can understand that because even people say with locks, oh gosh, you know, oh, you're lucky. You can just wash and go sort of thing. You think, well, no, you know, I go to a salon as well. I've got to sort of spritz stuff. Sorry, Irene, I'm such an ignoramus. What are locks? They're a form of dreadlock. You know, you go to a salon to have your hair interlocked or retwisted. But now if you went swimming, Irene, what would happen to your locks? Nothing. So they are relatively low maintenance? They're not that low maintenance. As I was saying, I still have to do stuff to my hair. But I'd have to make sure I get rid of all the chlorine because locked hair is bound hair. So it soaks up moisture like a sponge. Mm. So you really want to make sure that you're not leaving damaging chlorine inside your locks because it can weaken them. It must feel so heavy when it's wet. I remember when I've had extensions before and you get those wet for the first time, you literally feel like your head's being pulled back. It does. But because they're so skinny, they dry very quickly. And when you're on the beach, just sort of put it in a style And the heat from the sun just sort of dries it in that style and you can unravel the braids and you've got some nice curls and waves going on. That sounds gorgeous. It really does. Ed, as a black man, did you actually still learn a lot about black women and their relationship with their hair when you were making the documentaries? Yeah, well, I grew up with my mum, my my sister, cousin. So I've, I've seen it. I've seen the pain. What I didn't associate it with is swimming. My, my personal journey with swimming started probably two years ago. My only recollection of swimming is when I asked my mum if she could teach me how to swim because I wanted to go to a party, a pool party, which was at, at the age of nine, back in Ghana then. And she said, well, we don't live by the sea. We don't have a pool in our house. Why do you want to learn how to swim? It's, no, you need to study your books, maths, your English stuff. That's what you need to concentrate on, not swimming. So needless to say, I didn't learn how to swim, but more importantly, which um, probably scarred me for life is I didn't go to that party. Little nine-year-old Ed, I want to give him a cuddle (laughs) and say, that was a rubbish party anyway. You didn't miss anything. So basically, I'm just going to give a very short version of how it all began. So um, in 2018, I went to Barbados with my wife, daughter and a few friends, and I planned on making some music. I had a problem with my laptop there and this wasn't power on when I got there. It It just wasn't working. And I didn't have anything else to do. So when one of our friends suggested that we go on a, on a boat trip, normally I would have said no, because I have no relationship with water. I'm scared of water. And I can't think, why would I be on the yeah. boat? So I was on the boat and had my life jacket on. Then one of my friends said, oh, why don't we take a picture of you with your life jacket on? And then you can use that uh, on your, one of your album covers. And I said to myself, okay, why would I have a, a picture of a life jacket? And of course, it's got something to do, the song's got something to do with swimming. And I knew about the issue. So I, I made a song. I started making a song. I said, maybe someone should go out there and make a film about the issue with black people not swimming. So I made it make a film called Blacks Can't Swim. So I made a song and everything. And needless to say, when I got back to the hotel, the laptop decided to work. It was a sign from the universe. 
So I made the song, came back to UK, holiday over, then I put the song out on YouTube and someone got in touch with me, a company called Swimming Nature, and they got in touch with me and they said, we've heard your song, and in your song you said, is it a physical or a cultural thing? And they go, we want to teach you how to swim, we will teach you how to swim for free, as long as you let us document it. There's no catch, but basically they are aware of the issue, but being an all-white organisation, is something they cannot talk about. They've not been able to talk about it. But they want to prove to the world that it's not a physical thing, it's a cultural thing. So I said, okay, fair enough. Around about that same time, another friend of mine said, why don't you make the film? And I said, I know people who can direct it. So I went to a friend of mine who is also a music director, Mr. X, and I said, I want to make a film. When I explained the issue, he goes, oh yeah, definitely. Then we did a documentary. At the end of it, I did a trailer. It was a two minute trailer. And I put it out, and it was actually 24th of December on 2018, you know, for Christmas. Oh, right, pre-pandemic. 2018, yeah. And it went crazy. And it's like, I must have had about two to 3,000 people contact me within a week of the trailer being out. I don't know whether, I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, a white girl, and so I don't know black culture, and I'm very ignorant of all of that, and I'm trying to educate myself every day, and so what, this is always wonderful for me, because I'm learning, and, and, and I want to, but um, can you tell me, is it something that black community don't really are perhaps embarrassed of in some way or is that not it is it just that's how it is because it just seems like you almost opened pandora's box ed a little bit to a certain degree okay there's a number of things when i first when i decided to call the film uh, um, blacks can't swim i had a whole lot Um. of backlash from people saying you can't do that you can't do that you're adding to the stereotype you're adding to the stigmas and i can't swim and I said, yeah, but majority of people can't. You're probably one of the five percent that do swim. And I said, the film is based on my personal journey. And I believe I can't mm. swim because I was listening to these stereotypes. So when I yeah. say blacks can't swim, I'm talking about it from my perspective. And when the film came out, I had a call from the head of water safety in New York. And she said, thank you very much for making that film. Because now you've made it mm. possible for me to have that conversation. You've made it possible for other people to have this conversation which previously was yeah. very uncomfortable to have. As a result, we are, we are openly having this conversation. And here comes into the picture as well, because when, so when I brought out the film, I was campaigning against black people, not swimming and all that kind of thing. And I did a podcast called In the Deep End. And then I was interviewing various different people within the community, people of influence, to hear about their personal journey. Because the way I understand uh-huh. it, everybody has a swimming journey, whether you swim or whether you don't swim. Because if you don't mm-hmm. swim, why don't you swim? There's usually a reason why you don't swim. And if you did swim, yeah. how did you start? So one of the people that I interviewed was a lady by the name of Alice Deering. And she's the only mm-hmm. black swimmer in Team GB. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed her and we got on so well. And we found out that we're doing exactly the same thing. I'm encouraging people to swim from the grassroots level. And she's doing the same thing from an elite level. So she mm-hmm. said... Oh, I want to introduce you to another lady by the name of Saren Jones. She works for the BBC. And she's just about to interview me about swimming and my hair. So I said, wow, this is all coming together. So so basically, I got in touch with Saren and then um, we had a conversation. But never, this was around about 2019 um, summertime. Then October, I get a call from Saren saying, I want, I want you to meet me in London. So went to meet her and there was another lady by the name of Danielle Obey. And she just uh-huh. she just um, invented this waterproof headscarf called the Nemes, N-E-M-E-S. Sounds amazing. Are you aware of this wonderment, Irene? No, I've not heard of that one. What's it called again? The Nemes. So it's N-E-M-E-S. So we, we got together, we had a conversation and we found out, hold mm-hmm. on. Why don't we do something together? Why don't we start a, a steering group to encourage people to swim? So now there's, there's four of us. There's Danielle, there's myself, there's Seren, and there's Alice, Alice Deering. Mm. So we said, okay, let's start a steering group. Why don't we go to Swim England and have a conversation with them and see if they will support us? Because at that point, all of us were speaking to Swim England separately. So we went to Swim England and we said, this is what we want to do. Can we speak to your, your diversity inclu- and inclusion department? And they said, we don't have one. No, no way. So there wasn't one. Oh, well, therein lies most of the problem. That's right. So that's why it was very important for me to say that. So basically, when decisions are being made at the top, 
when processes are being designed, when programs are de being designed and policies are being made, there's no representation for the black community, the black and Asian community. That's why we set up the Black Swimming Association. Well, you're an absolute hero for doing so. Unfortunately, that's pretty much a metaphor for a lot of what happens, not only in this country, but globally as well. You know, is that the black community just gets forgotten and, you know, not considered. So I honestly think it's absolutely amazing that you started this. And the Nemes sounds amazing because I was going to speak to Irene, really, um, to talk about, you know, moving forwards. Uh, well, firstly, I'd love to know about your hair journey, Irene, because women of colour have such a complicated and wonderful relationship with their hair. So can you tell us a bit about that? Well, you asked me about my hair journey. Um, I grew up in Basingstoke in Hampshire. Right. Um, and there aren't that many black people there. So it was our family from Nigeria. Our hair was always kept very short, um, much to our dismay because all our friends had sort of long flowing hair. So, um, you know, parents basically said keep your hair like this um, it's easy to look after so all we really had to do was wet it add some olive oil and comb it with an afro comb so but you had to do this every morning because the hair you know you go to bed you get bed head your hair sticks in one sort of shape mm -hmm. so in order to make it more malleable you put the water on it and it begins again and again and again and it's only fairly recently that, you know, realised that the way we were looking after it was cutting its length. So if you're combing hair and manipulating it every day, because of its fragile nature, it's going to break. Mm -hmm. It's it's always going to shed. So we, we would have sort of little handfuls of our hair once we'd combed it. So this action was actually breaking our hair and keeping it very short. So it really wasn't until I went to uni or art school that I started using relaxers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was in fashion at the time and I liked, you know, people like Grace Jones mm -hmm. and that sort of spiky hair. And I thought, well, I'm a fashion student, so I've got to look fashionable. I didn't see my, my own hair as fashionable. And I, I got a relaxer for the first time. And I remember, you know, like you come out of the salon and I felt, yeah, you know, I feel good. I, I feel like part of this world. Mm -hmm. I feel that I can take on anything. I, I hope I look good. I, well, I certainly feel good. And once you relax, you have to keep relaxing your hair. And one thing I realised is they, they would always sort of look at my hair and say, oh, you need the extra strength your hair's coarse and so they put this extra strength on that hurts my scalp even thinking about it it hurts me thinking about it as well put this extra strength on and my hair was just lifeless thin oh and you think do I really need something so harsh on my head because that's what hairdressers have been taught mm -hmm. you know you look at someone with sort of natural hair of a 4c curl and prescribe the harshest strength relaxer. Mm -hmm. And it's, you think oh, that, that doesn't quite make sense. Um, and now I know much, much more about hair science and how our hair, where it curls, it's at its, its weakest. Mm -hmm. So rather than having a, a straight rod of hair, like Caucasian hair or Asian hair, our hair is at its weakest where it curls. And if you've got hair that looks like a pen spring curl, mm -hmm. everywhere that curls, that hair is weak. So you, you can pull it open and the weak spots will be flattened where the hair then turns into a curl. Mm. So every time they slapped on that super strength relaxer on my hair, it was just damaging what was already very fragile in texture. That's crazy. Yeah, so um, I, I remember having to grow it out, growing out my relaxer. And then I sort of dallied a bit with um, curly perms, which were very big in the 80s. They, they mm -hmm. call them jerry curls in America. Basically, that's where your hair is straightened. Your hair is then curled around a perm rod. Oh my God, hang on a minute. So it's chemically straightened. So would, would you relax it before you permed it? 
No, no. Right. It's a different process. It's like they, they do it with um, Caucasian hair as well. Right, okay. So, yeah, you just have to straighten the hair shaft out to get the curl that you want as opposed to the curl that you were born with. Yes. Yeah, just to yeah manifest a different curl. I get it. Yeah, so, um, and and that in a way was a, a little better mm. because you would you'd have all these other products like curl activators mm-hmm. and oil sprays to keep the hair moist. Mm-hmm. So your hair wasn't sort of as sort of dry as it might be with a straight relaxer. You brutalised your hair for a long time. Well, not so long because then, well... Yeah, in a funny sort of way. I had enough of the breakage because finally, even a curly perm will break your hair. Mm -hmm. So I started braiding my hair Mm -hmm. and braided it for years and years and years. Did you do it yourself? No, I'd I'd go to different braiders who would braid. And and then they'd just say to you, don't keep it in for more than three months. Because again, does it break, starts breaking? They say it starts locking up as in matting and then I found with the, you know, when you take your hair out of braids, you then have to comb it mm. and then you're losing more hair. You know, you're just losing hair left, right, centre. The impact actually, and you can tell me whether this is true, but just hearing your story and hearing Rachel and Shanice as well that we've spoken to about black hair, it actually sounds quite traumatising. Like it would impact on your mental health. Like hair is so intrinsically caught up in the way we feel about ourselves. You know, good hair days, bad hair days, all those, you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah. But women of colour have so much more to deal with. And is it quite demoralising and depressing at times? I didn't really feel that depressed about my hair to tell the truth I I don't know why I wanted it to grow I guess maybe you're just very accepting of it I sort of accepted it and that was possibly why I went into the the braiding Mm -hmm. fairly sort of for a long time and fairly quickly into my hair journey but yes it it is because hair people judge you by the way you look Mm. And if you're not told that your hair is beautiful or that your hair looks great or or whatever, you're going to not feel so sort of positive mm-hmm. about yourself and how you look. And you're not going to feel proud mm. of your sort of God-given features. Yeah. You know, you're going to either want to look different, like relax your hair or straighten your hair or perm your hair. So for a long time, you know, that was the option. Mm. If you had natural hair, you didn't have many options to wear it because no one was really wearing natural hair. That has changed now, hasn't it? Very much. And the relaxing culture is changing, isn't it? The relaxing culture is it's not dead as such because there are still women who relax their hair, mm-hmm. but people are finally embracing their natural texture. Yeah. And, you know, starting to wear their hair out, you know, or in their jobs. Yeah. Um, and then you get the problem where Afro hair texture was discriminated against. In what way is that happening and how can we help to stop that? Well, gosh, I mean, it's happening here and it's happening in the US. And for instance, you know, in America, they banned people having their hair in dreadlocks or locks because it had to be a certain length. So any serving black people in the military couldn't really wear their hair in locks. Mm. Natural hair for a long time was seen as unprofessional. That's ridiculous. You know, it wasn't a professional look. If if you're in corporate world, mm. you wouldn't wear your hair natural because the texture was deemed as, you know, it's unusual or it's challenging or, you know, and those were the reasons women were given. So they had to either resort to wigs or had to sort of resort to relaxers. Mm. So, and I think, you know, when you other someone else someone's hair you make them feel that it's not good enough Mm. so so you've got things like world afro day which is like a festival celebrating afros wonderful in schools yeah they have these sort of meetings for school children so telling school children that their hair you know the hair they're born with 
is is good enough and they, they should be rocking it so bit by bit we're changing the narrative on natural afro hair but there is a long way to go so there's a crown crown act in america mm-hmm. which has basically said you can't discriminate against a person's hairstyle when they go for a job right so we are moving forwards we are moving forward yes well hallelujah for that can we talk a little bit to both of you about the black fishing and specifically with Jesse Nelson. Did you have any thoughts on that? I I didn't really I, I looked into it. I had I was quite interested to see what had gone on and obviously I am again embarrassed by my ignorance or I'd never even heard that term before. Is that becoming a problem? Yes, because you see a lot of celebrities and influencers mm-hmm. people like kim kardashian for instance mm-hmm. who sort of take on black cultural style without really acknowledging where it comes from or without acknowledging that the people it belongs to didn't have an easy time doing it it's not just something we put on and strut around with it's not a fashion statement no so you do get a lot of celebrities it's particularly now that i think being racially ambiguous is a thing you know where's she from you know mm. oh she looks exotic so it's something that celebrities often do and they're on people's feed on Instagram or you know TikTok or whatever. So, you know, they and they do sort of get called out. And rightly so. I mean, I remember um, receiving a press release from a tanning company and they had a picture of the model's legs, basically. One leg with a tan on and the other sort of her natural colour. And the tanned leg looked like it belonged to a woman of colour. Really? It was that sort of dark, um, a woman mixed heritage. So you think, yeah, oh, you've got to sort of be a bit more sensitive Absolutely. that you're not sort of sort of jumping on that bandwagon because it, it's it trivialises, you know, the discrimination that people of colour get for having features um, that we can't easily change. Yeah, and it does boil down to the ignorance on the, on the part of the people that are, that are doing that. It's like, to educate yourself. I was speaking to a lady, some, not very, very recently, actually, and she, she, she's going off with a black guy. She's a white lady. She's going off with a black guy. <laughs> and she said to his friends or someone around him that she doesn't see colour. When it's black or white, she doesn't see colour. She sees everything at the same. And, and then there was a bit of a backlash, and she couldn't understand why there was a backlash when she said she can't see colour. And I explained to her that the reason why there was, would have been a bit of a backlash is that when you say that you don't see colour, that means you're saying that all the struggles that black people have been through throughout the, you know, from since the slavery days and beyond and other kind, you don't see that, you don't recognise that. No, it's a good point, yeah. I understand what she was trying to do as well, but I also, I can see both sides of the story as well. I always, I just tell my children that, love is love much like you know for like globally it's just just love everybody just be kind that's the main thing just be kind but I want them to learn about the struggles of um of the black community definitely because it's still going on you know it's when we're not there yet there's still a mountain to climb and so my children are going to be pivotal in getting up that mountain, you know, and their children and their children's children. So it's, um, I'm, I'm doing my best, but obviously I'm literally lady white privilege over here and I'm very, very aware of that. Um, so one of the wonderful things about the Big Hairy podcast is that I'm properly getting an education. It's wonderful and I can pass that on to my children. The most important thing and it's the great thing that what's happening right now is that we are having the conversation. We are, we are mm-hmm. talking about it. And I strongly believe that once you start having a conversation, start openly having these conversations, the next step is progress. We're in yeah. a great place as we are right now. It, I mean, it is good to talk as long as people do something mm. because we can have all the sort of talking shops in the world. What are you going to do from what you've learned from these experts? You know, you, you've got to do something positive with it. It's been so wonderful talking to you both. Honestly, I really feel real privilege to be able to speak and and also speak so openly. And you guys 
you make me feel really comfortable asking all sorts of questions. And I love that I'm learning so much. So it's really a great privilege. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Um, now, give yourselves a shout out. Irene, Ed, where can we find you? Tell us about all the projects so that people can go digest you wherever they want to. Well, Black Beauty and Hair is it's, it's the UK's only black publication now. You can find the magazines in your local hair shop. So if you go in there, you can pick up a free magazine or you can subscribe to us as well. We've got a website, www.blackbeautyandhair.com, where we sort of deal with hair basically all you want to know about hair and beauty and we also publicize black founder brands and that's something I think that's very important mm-hmm. to really grow our our own you know being in control of our own sort of destinies rather than having companies from on high saying this is what your hair needs people are now saying well no it doesn't but you maybe look at this so yeah so that's what we're doing wonderful thank you brilliant well done and ed first and foremost everyone needs to watch the black Swim film documentaries which are available on amazon <laughs> and and secondly um as i mentioned i'm a co-founder of the black Swim association which is the first organization set up to highlight the importance of water safety and swimming within the black and asian communities and to bridge that gap that long lasting gap between the swim sector and the community. So um, you can find us at the bsa.co.uk. And um, yeah, so we are always looking for people to partner with us, you know, because in order to get where we want to get um, and to eradicate the issue mm-hmm. with um, the high drowning rates and all that kind of, we have to work together. We can't do it on our own. So, so whether it's partners, whether it's um, volunteers, you know, let's have a conversation. Wonderful. Guys, thank you so much again for your time. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. The Big Hairy Podcast is brought to you by The Beauty Works, an innovative and affordable hair, skin and cosmetics brand, which is dedicated to clean beauty and high performance. All of their products are 90 to 95% natural and vegan wherever possible, using quality, ethically sourced ingredients in advanced formulations for people who care about their health as well as the planet. In keeping with the Beautyworks Clean Beauty Statement, the products contain no harsh chemicals or toxic ingredients, are free from parabens, dyes, petrochemicals and phthalates, and are not tested on animals. Join the Beautyworks revolution and love the skin you live in by visiting thebeautyworks.co.uk or follow them on Instagram at thebeautyworks. That's Beautyworks with an X. Thank you for listening to the Big Hairy Podcast. I will see you in the next episode.